my friends, and welcome back to The Hangout. I'm Sid Wong, and I'm so excited to have yet another guest on the show um, tell their story and share how music has impacted them in their own way. I got the chance to talk to a new friend of mine, Mr. Jesse L. Martin, who a lot of you may know as Detective Joe West on The CW's The Flash, to playing Tom Collins um, on the original cast of Rent. Um, After this episode, uh, my thoughts were, wow, if you really want to pursue art, if you want to chase your dreams, if you want to just feel motivated to create, this episode will be super inspiring to you. Hearing Jesse's story um, of his musical background to being on two very successful long-running TV shows, um, Law & Order and The Flash, you'll get to hear all sides to his story. I'm so excited to share this episode. It is a jam-packed one, um, but I hope you enjoy it. This is Jesse L. Martin on The Hangout. Today on the show, we've got someone you either know from his musical theater legacy and background, or you're going to be surprised by the side of him um, because you might only know him as a detective in various TV universes. Uh, I'm so excited to have him on the show. Let's welcome the amazing and talented Jesse L. Martin. Hey, what's up, CH people? Thank you so much for taking the time to come and hang out on The Hangout. Thank um, you so much for inviting me. Let's kind of like brief people or bring them up to speed of like how we kind of met. It was kind of, oh, yeah. if you want to tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I was doing this independent film called uh, Reunited, Reuniting, sorry, um, with a good friend of mine, Michelle Harrison, who's one of my uh, co-stars on The Flash. She plays uh, Nora Allen, Barry Allen's mom. And uh, while we were doing the film, there was an on-set photographer. She was really cute. Her name was Sid. And I was amazed by her actual uh, photography skills because when you're on set as a set photographer, you almost have to be invisible. And she was really good at that. Like, re- I don't even remember you ever taking a picture unless you just sort of came up and said, hey, can I take a picture? But I'm sure you got, I know you got some great shots. You show me some of them. Anyway, that's how we met. Yeah, it's so crazy. I feel like, I don't know, I want to say like, I feel like I sort of manifested working with you at some point because I was just just like, I feel like I grew up watching The Flash. I remember just coming home sometimes and watching and being like, oh, what's the team going to be up to this week? And then I was like, Jesse L. Martin would be such a great guest to have on the hangout because of his like his musical theater background. Just love talking about music. And then we bonded over our dogs. Yeah. (laughs) Is your dog there? My dog's literally sitting right here. Please, cameo. We need a cameo. Oh, baby. He's a little bit mad because I'm not paying attention to him, but he gets it. Okay, cool. I guess let's dive into your background first. You mentioned that you were kind of based in New York growing up. What was that lifestyle like for you? What, what, yeah, what was your background? I mean, it was, look, first of all, I'm a total country boy. Like, I was born in a really small town called Rocky Mount, Virginia. Um, like real, real small. It's in like, like uh, uh, Southwest Virginia. And when I was probably about six or seven, we moved north because my mom and dad split up and we moved north to Buffalo, New York, of all places. And I spent my, uh, you know, formulative years in Buffalo till I was about 17. And then 17 moved to New York City. 
uh, to go to theater school at, at New York University. And I lived in New York City ever since. That's so cool. What was it? How did you kind of get introduced to the musical theater world? Was it just because you were in New York or? No, I mean, musical theater sort of happened long before then when I I started doing musicals in school. I had always been in an arts program, uh, a school that like focused on uh, the arts uh, mm -hmm. since I was in maybe fifth, sixth grade. Uh, I went to an experimental school called the College Learning Laboratory, where they had an elementary school that was put right in the middle of a uh, college campus. Uh, it was at Buffalo State University. That's and I, it was amazing. I mean, can you imagine all these little kids literally having access to the entire college? And uh, it was hardcore intro into figuring out what you wanted to do as a career in oh. the fifth grade. Then I really wanted to be either a sculptor or an architect. Um, of course, I'm neither of those things now. <laughs> that's not even true. I still sculpt and I just designed my own house. So that's kind of not even true. So it all came back. You but I've been doing musicals and whatnot in, in, in school well before I got to college. Actually, I, I did one musical in college. And here's another fun fact. I'm not necessarily a fan of musicals. What? I'm not. I'm definitely really? not. Yeah, no, That's so I'm interesting. Not. Well, mostly because of the way musicals have evolved, right? Um, right. All the musicals I've been in were, were uh, for lack of a better way to put it, let's get real, it was all through a white lens, right? Totally. So, so if I was placed in a musical um, or cast in a musical, I should say, like, it was usually something where, you know, here you are, the black kid, figuring out how you're supposed to be living in this magical, musical world of white folk. Because, right. you know, when it comes to black folks, we do music a whole lot different, a mm -hmm. whole lot different. And it wasn't until I got to New York City and got to see a lot more variety and diversity in musicals. And believe me, it's still through a white lens to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, hopefully that will change, but it is part of the reason why I wasn't so, I wasn't feeling musicals for, for a long time. Even when I auditioned for Rent, I, yeah. I basically auditioned because A, I wanted to work with the director, Michael Greif. Um, I had followed his career, uh, for a minute there and I knew I had this whole list of directors and producers that I really wanted to work with. Michael right. Greif was one of them. And at the time, uh, I had been auditioning a lot through this casting office uh, Bernie, uh, that was run by Bernie Telsey. It's now called the Telsey office. But Bernie Telsey was this guy who literally called me in for everything, even if I wasn't right for it. He would just mm -hmm. call me in. And at one point, he called and said, hey, there's this new musical that's being workshopped at the New York Theater Workshop, which was on my list of places I wanted to work. And he's like, I, you know, I was like, well, what is it? He's like, well, you know... It, it's new and it's, it, we, we're, we're not sure what it's going to be. That's why we're doing a workshop. So I went in and auditioned and there wasn't even a role for me at that point to audition mm -hmm. for. So I went in, I sang Amazing Grace and then I left because I was doing a show in Connecticut at the time. So I got back on the train, went back to Connecticut. By the time I got to the theater that night, I'd gotten a call from Bernie saying that they offered me the role. And they said, you know, we're offering you the role of Tom Collins. I was like, I don't even know what that is. And uh, there was a guy who was uh, doing a play with me in Connecticut named Byron Utley, and he had auditioned as well. 
And both of us were sitting there knowing full well that we had auditioned. I knew that I'd gotten cast. And so I was scared to ask Byron. I was like, hey, Byron, um, so you auditioned for that musical. He was like, yeah. He goes, uh, did you get it? And I was like, yeah. He goes, what role did they offer you? I'm like, Tom Collins. He was like, I said, what role did they offer you? And he was like, yeah, they offered me a role in the ensemble. And I was like, are you going to do it? He was like, yeah, I think so. And he's like, are you going to do it? I'm like, uh, I mean, I don't even know what it is. And I'm not that thrilled about it. But I don't have a job after this one. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. And within a week of rehearsals for Rent, I was like, I'm so glad I did this. So glad. Oh, like, wow. It was, I mean, first of all, the, the cast that they put together, some of them had never even been on stage before. Like, yeah. Adina Menzel had never been in a play. Adam Pascal had never been in a play before. There were some other ones who were getting well-known in the, like, like Daphne Rubin Vega, who's the original Mimi. She was, she, she was on the charts, actually, with a group called Pajama Game. Um, wow. It, it was sort of like club music. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it was such an eclectic group of people. And so it didn't fit the mold of what how I saw musical theater. Right. So I was already in it. I was thrilled about it. And you know how the whole show uh, turned out. So amazing. It was, it's amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely one of the most uh, transformative uh, experiences I've ever had. That's crazy. I it just feel like it's just been such a movement throughout, honestly, like since the very beginning and even till today. And it's just impacted so many people. Um, and even yeah. with like you guys had the live show and you guys went back um, yeah. with, the, with the Rent Live group in 2019, which honestly feels like yesterday still. <laughs> it but it was like, to me I for guess, some reason. <laughs> really? Not yeah, really, no. Two years ago already, which is crazy. What was it yeah. like, I guess, reuniting with all these people and just seeing like <clears throat> this new generation taking it on stage? Well, the best part about it, and I think the reason all of us did it, is we we don't get to see each other that often. We're not all in right. the same place at the same time. So the fact that almost everybody uh, from the original cast was coming, I, I think, saved two people, mm-hmm. uh, was enough for, to get us all there. Now, we're always asked to come and see you know, uh, different productions of, right. of Rent. So you, you're always, you're always a little nervous about Skeptical. it because you're like, yeah. Oh God, what if I hate it? You know? And I'm, <laughs> I'm not that great of a liar. Like I, 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 it doesn't, I can't do it. So, <laughs> but we, we got there and the cool thing about the Rent Live, they really uh, took care to bring a lot, as many of the original production team as oh, wow. they could. So we yeah. had, they had the director from the Broadway show, Michael Greif, and the choreographer, Molly Zierby, and, and uh, a lot of people. So like, there was a great uh, a great amount of original flavor, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool to see. And of course, you know, the whole thing, you know, was marred by an accident where the, the lead character uh, basically broke his ankle uh, right before uh, the actual live event was supposed to happen. Yeah. So that was a little crazy but the kids were so amazing and they were really spirited about the whole thing and we were just glad to be there to basically be cheerleaders for them that's amazing i guess take me back to when you guys opened on broadway for the first time do you still remember that night or yeah like that experience? oh yeah absolutely i mean by the time we'd gotten to broadway the show had you know received a ridiculous amount of attention i mean because when we were down at the workshop uh, you probably know the whole story, but for those who don't, um, our 
creator and composer Jonathan Larson uh, suffered a an aneurysm, basically uh, the night before our first performance. Uh, so it, the whole show turned into a whole other thing. I mean, what people don't remember is that we this was a workshop that we were doing. It wasn't done. The show was not finished. And of course, we lost Jonathan before it was. And we ended up doing the show as it was. It had already become a huge, huge thing before we even got to Broadway. So by the time we got to Broadway, it, there was a lot of attention. The, the, the zeitgeist had sort of like swirled itself into this one point. And that opening night, I'll never forget uh, all of us walking out on stage as the show began. And uh, we got a standing ovation at, right at the beginning, just standing there. And that lasted for damn near 20 minutes. It was, it was the most electric thing I'd ever experienced. I was so, so jacked up anyway, because I was excited about it and, you know, obviously nervous. But 20 minutes of that applause was it shook me. I was like so afraid that suddenly I wouldn't remember a single note or a single word once they finally stopped. Of course, we, we did. And the show was fantastic that night. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was probably the best stage experience I've ever had. That's crazy. Because then you went from Broadway and then you also went to the West End. Was it? Yeah. Were, was, did you notice any differences with the crowds and the different? Huge places, difference. Or? Huge yeah? difference. Yeah. Like, um, the, you know, English theater audience is a lot more reserved. Um, the the theater community in England was a hard nut to crack for us. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, one thing I could say about the Broadway community is that they are really a community. They really look out for each other. They really celebrate de- celebrate each other. And it didn't feel like that on the West End. Um, it's We all felt sort of isolated in it. I, I felt that the, the show didn't have the same impact and of course it couldn't because, you know, it's kind of a special moment for it to happen the way it did right. in the States. But during the show on the West End was a whole different thing. I mean, I think maybe our producers were a little naive in thinking that the whole world already knew what Rent was. But the the feeling when we got we got when we got there was they didn't really know what it was. So, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of buzz around it in the beginning. And, and it, it took a while for audience to audiences to even warm up to it on the West End. Right. Did you ever experience, did you ever like expect like your characters to be as like influential in culture today when you were oh. starting out? No, God, like, no. Like, no, we knew that it was special. And, and, and for the same reasons that I, I told you earlier that I was never that keen on musical theater. Right. These characters were characters you just never saw. Yeah. Uh, uh, on, on in any kind of musical, and and the fact that you know Michael Greif and Jonathan Larson and everybody involved uh, allowed us to be all that we are. I mean, like literally left all the room in the world for you know culture and experience, which we never really got a chance to do in most uh, theater productions, uh, mm-hmm. where you got to really bring all of you. And that was the best part about it. And I, I'm spoiled because of it, because since then, I'm really not trying to do nothing that, you know, they don't include 
not just me and my color, but my culture. Totally. I like because when we were talking before um, about reuniting and then your character and having space to mm-hmm. bring your culture to the character, too. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, it's important. And like it's 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 everything to me now. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure you as as an Asian, you run into so many situations where people ask you to divorce your culture just to be what? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I think it's difficult, but there's slow progression and just like being a little bit more pick and choose on like what I'm getting to be a part of and stuff. Um, Just making sure that like I'm recognized as who I am and not just like another person on the sidelines, I guess. I don't know. There's a lot to dive into all of that. (laughs) Well, let's do that. Um, I feel like people are going to hate me if I don't talk about the movie as well, where you guys as a cast, I want to say about five or was it five or four of the original Broadway cast of Rent came into uh, the feature as well. It's one, two, three, four, five. There were six of us. Wow. Six of us from the original cast. Yeah. And to bring like all that original cast into the film is usually rare. Like we rarely ever get to see that. So I guess it was easier for you guys to dive into it in the future this time that time around or like uh, i don't know if it's true for everybody but for me it was absolutely true first of all yeah. i couldn't even believe 10 years later you know my body was still doing this <laughs> this stuff um but there it was i was doing it right it's amazing what muscle memory does like yeah. it all just sort of came back and it, it was like having all the time in the world to prepare for a film right mm-hmm. like i got to do the show for damn near three years on stage and then 10 years passed and then suddenly here I am playing the same role in a film like I all my research and work was done all I got all I had to do was like make sure my body could do it and lo and behold my body did it it was it was a great great experience and again Chris Columbus is one of those people that allowed us the space to do us to bring all we got to it and I can't tell you how important that is to this day. That's important. Like, because so many people do things and I, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to politicize anything. I just have to say what is true. Like oh, of course. The, the idea of, of everything being through a white lens is, is just omnipresent mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there are still there are people out there who recognize that and realize that, hey, you know, I have been working in a white lens and I don't necessarily know anything about this culture or that culture or how things are done that way. And um, but it doesn't mean I can't do it and sponsor these things, but right. I have to leave space for them to do it. Right. And it certainly did in the film and super grateful. I had a great time doing that movie. It was so much fun. It's so good. I literally will play it on repeat for like inter- eternity. Oh, like it's fantastic. so good. It's so good. <laughs> Just like like um today for you when you guys are in that loft, it's so fun. Oh, yeah. Like what would you say was one of the one of your favorite um s- sequences to play or like musical numbers to be a part of? I well, I have to say that my favorite song um the favorite song that I sang is is Santa Fe. But my favorite music sequence in the show is it basically starts with goodbye love halloween uh, it's in the play it's called halloween i don't know it doesn't really even exist in the movie um but it's the whole second act of 
of the thing where you know you know people are dying and like people are breaking up and all kinds of things are going wrong as you do in the second act of any play um but that's my 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 jam when it comes to that show but when i talk about you know, things that i really love it's usually little moments that like just kill me um like adina manzel who I think is absolutely brilliant. I don't even think Adina knows half the time how great an actual actor she is because, you know, we all know that she's beyond phenomenal as a singer. Like she's like literally an icon now, but when we were doing the play, it used to shake me to the core sometimes how dialed in Adina can be as an actor. There was a, there's this funny moment where, in the play, there's a point where in the same area that I'm talking about, the second act of, of the play, where Mark and Roger are having this back and forth, this argument. And uh, there's a point where uh, uh, Roger says, I'll call. I hate the fall. That's the line. And the entire time we were doing the show, Adina Menzel had no idea that he was saying, I hate the fall. fall uh, uh, I hate the fall. She thought he was saying, I hate the phone. I'll call. I hate the phone. So <laughs> her, like, the, the world of Maureen in her head was just that, where she had her own world going the entire time. And, like, this is some of the reactions you'd get from Adina, they were always different, by the way, but, like, some of the reactions you would get, Adina, particularly when we were on stage, we're just like, wait a minute, where did that come from? And like, it's just because she was so relaxed in it. Like, she didn't have a whole lot of trappings of like, this is how you act, and this is what we did in theater school. She didn't have any of that. She was just like, oh, I'm in it. You know, <laughs> she knew how to sing no matter what. Yeah. So like, she was always able to do that. And the way she filled the spaces as, as a character, as an actor, or just how she felt it. And those kinds of moments in the show were the things that I remember distinctly like, to this day. That's crazy. I feel like, I feel like just musical theater as a whole is like a day camp and everyone just goes, Damn has right. a great time. A real expensive then, day camp. Uh, yeah. Real yeah. expensive. <laughs> real, real, real expensive. But I mean, it's somewhat worth it in the end. Absolutely. I could go on about it. Um, but I feel like there's just so much more to talk about. Um, you mentioned before, too, that you would want a Leo for a best score for a personal yeah. project that you did, which is called The Letter Carrier. It was a short film yeah. that you did in 2016. Um, yeah. And that was also your director debut project. Yeah. What what was the inspiration behind that project? Well, I, I mean, uh, first of all, I'd written all of these poems. Um, and I don't even remember why I started writing these poems. I just did. Um, but uh, the letter carrier came because when I was a kid, my auntie Emily used to tell us these like spooky bedtime stories just to get us to go to sleep. Like a lot of times when we were little kids, we were all in the same house, which was usually my grandparents' house. And there was probably like 15 or 20 of us in the house at any given time. So you got kids running all over the place. And this was a tiny little house. And at night, my auntie Emily would tell us these spooky stories just to get us to go to bed. And she told this crazy story about the letter carrier. Now where we lived in Virginia, we had uh, a mailman who came uh, from when I remember the earliest, he would come like on a horse and buggy basically. And then he got a little truck, but 
our mailman at the time was a really good whistler. Like you could hear him whistling as before you saw him. And so my auntie made up this story about how, you know, the, the letter carrier comes and when you hear him whistling, you got to go to bed. She told us all these stories when we go to sleep, but like you got to go to bed because he steals children in the night. And uh, for whatever reason, I remember that and started writing these poems like based on that story and sort of uh, expanded it. And I showed the poems to a friend of mine, Rick Cosnett, who was working with me on The Flash at the time, uh, playing Eddie Thawne. And he was like, oh, my God, these are fantastic. He's like, we should do something with them. She's, and I said, like, well, I think the only thing I can think of doing with these poems is turning them into songs. And Rick was like, well, that's amazing. You should do that. And we should film them. And I was like, in what capacity? And he's like, I don't know. Let's, let's tell that story. And I don't know even know why I said yes, because I didn't have any idea how to turn these, first of all, turn these poems into songs and then turn these songs into a story. And then the idea of they're becoming a story that we film, but we both had decided that we both wanted an experience directing a film. Mm-hmm. So we decided we'd co-direct it and see what happens. Long story short, uh, we started a, a Kickstarter campaign to raise money to do this little short. And all we got ridiculous amounts of support from everybody, not to mention oh. the the, the uh, crew from The Flash all jumped on board and were like, no, we totally help you. Like, we'll bring equipment. You know, we had... You know, C. Kim Miles was our DP, who's like total pro DP. Um, and uh, we cast it in Vancouver and you know, shot it over a course of, of what, six days in Maple Ridge. And, you know, totally had a great time, loved it. Uh, and then obviously a year later, um, I find out that not only had I been nominated for a uh, Leo for uh, best score for a short drama. I can't remember what it's called. I'd have to look at it, but um, I'd been nominated, but not only that, I'd won one. And I didn't even know what a Leo was at the time. Like I was at my my house having a birthday party for a friend of mine and another friend of mine, Kari called me. She's a makeup artist. She had just won a Leo and she was there at the award ceremony. She's like, hey, um, they just announced that you are... um, up for a Leo. If you win, do you want me to go get it? I was like, what's a Leo? And yeah, go get it. So she brought it to the party afterwards. And I, oh, I was thrilled. That's so fun. Yeah. Um, I, I was watching it and I was like, is this is this a horror film? And it was like a musical, it was drama. Yeah. I was like, this is everything in between. And I was just like, this is so good. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. And then well, of course. One of the yeah. one of the things that I definitely wanted to explore was I started thinking about uh, fairy tales and and mm-hmm. fables that we all know of. Um, again, you hear me talk like this all the time. Please excuse me if it's if, if if it's tiring to your audience. But again, all these fairy tales and all these stories, like Little Red Riding Hood, and all these they were all basically told through a white lens. And if you listen to the stories they're really really dark like these are not kids stories yeah um so i was like well if it were a black fable if it were a black story that way what would it be 
And, you know, if it were in any kind of historical context, where would it be? And, you know, obviously one of the bigger tragedies, you know, in the history of black people on this planet is the the advent of slavery. Right. And so I, I said, well, let's go dark. If we're going to go dark with a fairy tale, let's go there. And so that's where this story is set. It's it's about a family that escapes slavery and they they use uh, the mother uses the uh, the story of the letter carrier to keep the kids home, to keep them from uh, veering away from where they are so that they don't get caught by actual slave catchers and taken back into slavery. So dark fare for a, uh, a fairy tale, if you will, um, but exactly the same trajectory as most fairy tales we know have gone. Of course. Oh, so good. It's so good. I love Thank it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess like overall, rapping with Rent, rapping with the letter carrier and the music that you've composed, how has, like for the Hangout, we always try to figure out how music has impacted people in different ways. How yeah. do you think music has kind of changed your life or impacted you? Because I guess we did talk about it once, but we were like, music has changed my life personally. And that's why I started this podcast. How has Absolutely. it changed your life? Um, well, first of all, it's always been a presence. Um, as a as a kid, like I was saying earlier, you know, being in my grandparents' house down in in Virginia, every weekend was full of at least three things for sure. There was always music, there was always moonshine, and there was always food. And those things were constant in our lives. And my my grandfather was a huge you know, sort of folk blues player, not in any formal sense at all. It was just, mm-hmm. that's what he did. He was, you know, when he was feeling loose and having a good time, you know, he'd pull out his harmonica, dip it in a, a glass of water. I'm not really sure what that's about, but he would do that and you know, knock it off on his, on his leg and then just start playing. And before you know it, my uncle would join in with a song or somebody would show up with another instrument and start playing. And we grew up hearing that kind of music in it definitely what influenced the sound of what happens in the letter carrier i mean that's literally us to a t like that kind of music that kind of sound is us to a t and it's still me to this day like it's the kind of music i gravitate towards there's a storytelling to it there's an absolute um saturation of our culture in it uh so it is my jam and it has it has informed me for my entire life and career, like I'm always trying to get back to music, even when I'm on stage doing, you know, you know, straight play like a drama or what have you, where there isn't necessarily any music or anything. I'm always thinking music. I use music to prepare. I use music to, mm. to, to create a role. Like uh, if, you know, I'm playing a role that is not even in a musical. I say, well, what kind of music does this guy like? What kind of music, you know, is playing? in his head you know how we all have we all have a jukebox in our head all day long i'm sure you do Uh you know i have i oftentimes think as a way to get into a character what's the jukebox like what's what's on their jukebox what's playing constantly and it it totally puts me in a great space uh that isn't necessarily jesse but of course born of jesse but like it puts me in a great space to play a character that isn't necessarily me right like, do you have, do you ever create like playlists like, like on like Spotify and like, oh, okay, this person's going to play this, this, this is a song. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I let it inform everything. I, mean, I even, uh, in the beginning of my career, I, I used music to 
literally memorize lines. Oh, wow. Like if I were able to, you know, attach, you know, the, the text to, to sound and music, it was way easier to remember. Mm. Now I don't even know how I remember stuff. I just do. <laughs> but back then I had to really work at it. And mm. music helped me with everything that way. That's crazy. Did it, has it changed your life personally? Like, has it gotten you through tough times? Like, do you use it as that absolutely, sort of a form? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I, I mean, of course that's true for everyone. I'm sure. Um, yeah. and music is the, the food of life. Like you, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like we take it for granted, right? Like if we didn't have music, what would be the jukebox of life? Like, I mean, I guess nature would answer that that question, but even nature has a rhythm. Even nature has music. True. So true, true. It's literally everything. It's it is the 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 beat by which we live, the rhythm by which we live. I truly I love believe that. that. I love that. Yeah. Um, I guess. Okay, when you were doing, were you doing theater before or film first, or was it like simultaneously? Oh, it was Okay, was, cool. I started with theater. I mean, I had, I'd spent uh, getting out of college. Uh, my first job out of college was, was with a theater company called the Acting Company, which was started uh, at Juilliard a long, long time ago, and it was supposed to be for, uh, a springboard for the students to go into the professional world. So they would basically do a tour of usually classic pieces like Shakespeare, oftentimes mm. like Chekhov and things like that. The first group coming out of Juilliard was called Group One. And some of the actors that were in that company that toured were, you know them, like it was Kevin Klein, uh, Patti Lapone, David Ogden Steers. Like there were a lot of well-known people coming out of Juilliard to do this company. So many, many years later, here I am. I didn't go to Juilliard. I went to NYU, but I got a chance to audition because one of the actors in the tour had hurt himself and wasn't able to continue. Mm. So I auditioned and lo and behold, got in. I was definitely the youngest member of the acting company ever. And I toured the country doing Shakespeare. We were doing uh, Romeo and Juliet and Two Gentlemen of Verona. And you want to talk about music in Two Gentlemen of Verona, the, the, uh, the concept was that uh, there was a troop of clowns from the circus who decided they wanted to be taken seriously. So they started doing Shakespeare. Now, of course, imagine clowns deciding to be serious and doing Shakespeare. The entire thing was all music driven. And one of the best experiences I ever had that way, where the clowns, when they weren't on stage doing this lofty text that Shakespeare is, they were in the orchestra. So we had an orchestra and it was a ridiculous ragtag orchestra where, you know, all these crazy instruments like melodica, or, you know, and all these um, percussion instruments just to emphasize sounds and things like that. That's so cool. it was one of the coolest experiences I ever had. And believe it or not, even in that company, we have some names that you know. One of our cast members in that tour is Rain Wilson, who you know is Dwight from The Office. What? Yeah. Rain Wilson was in, in my company. That's crazy. Line, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and he was fantastic. That's amazing. I feel like there's a lot of people in like the TV world or film world that you didn't even know did like theater or like. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, most of the people I 
came up with were, I mean, I came up in New York City. So like right. New York City is theater focused as far as actors go. Right. Um, so, you know, spending the, the amount of time that I have in New York City, I got to know everybody. And it's always a different show when the theater kids show up. <laughs> always. I'm Very not going to say true. better because I don't want to be biased, but. Mm, just. Very true. Well, yeah, I was telling you, I was doing the Disney Plus, like High School Musical, the musical, the series group and everything. So I was talking to all these different theater kids and I was like, this is just like a whole new world. Everyone is just so welcoming <laughs> and just theatrical. And they just have I feel like they have so much more fun because they have like that theatrical, dramatic background um, and they just I dive mean, into everything full heart. I think that I yeah. definitely think that I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess I was going to lead up and talk about the transition from being the from being in theater to going on screen and doing yeah. that sort of on camera work. What was that like for you? Uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, I looked out because obviously uh, when the world noticed that I was an actor, it was on stage when doing rent, of course. And rent had, had such an audience that it led to some really great, film opportunities uh, mm. the, but initially it was television where I had gotten uh, a call while I was doing rent I'd probably been doing rent for close to a year, maybe a year at that point anyway I'd gotten a call from uh, first off it was uh, uh, David E. Kelly who was doing a show at the time called Ally McBeal mm-hmm. and I was asked if I would be interested in playing the lead character, Ally McBeal's boyfriend. And the, the actor playing Ally McBeal was an actress called uh, Callista Fockhart. And I'd known Callista, actually the show that I told you about that I was doing in Connecticut right before I did Rent, Callista Fockhart was there doing Romeo and Juliet, playing Juliet. Oh, so wow. I'd, I'd known Callista uh, through that and you know being part of the theater world in New York City and so I was super thrilled to be able to go and play her boyfriend in this television show and that led to many 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 more opportunities in television I got a call from David Duchovny out of nowhere who asked me if I would play if I'd want to play a baseball loving alien on the X-Files and I was like well hell yeah you know, and that was probably one of the best you know, television experiences I've, I've had up until then. And that led to me getting the role on Law and Order, going all the way back to New York City uh, and working with some of the best actors I've ever worked with. S.E. Pates and Murkison, Jerry Orbach, Sam Waterston, uh, Dennis Farina. It was, that was I really thought like, wow, I've really done a damn thing now. Like when I was standing there, you know, working with those guys on Law and Order and and the best part about Law and Order is the guest stars that come in, they're all theater people. They're all theater trained. So they come in and they guns blazing, right? Like they are so good at what they do that the show was just like this constant uh, uh, inspiring and, and thrilling experience on a regular basis just to work with some of the best people in the business. So knock on wood, I, I hope to continue having those sorts of experiences, even if I have to create them now. That's crazy. Did you ever expect it to run as long as it did? 
No, I mean, well, <clears throat> I mean, it had a clue. Law and Order was already running for 10 years when I joined. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was already on television for 10 years. Oh so my God. the fact that I got to do 10 years yeah. after that is that's unheard of. Like most yeah. actors don't get that kind of opportunity. And then going on to The Flash, too, that has been going when you guys are on like season. You guys just wrapped season seven. Yeah, season seven, seven years. So you- holy cow what's it like I, I, don't, I don't know like moving from one like successful project to the next which literally is long running for as long as it <sighs> has been i mean obviously the only answer i have to that is gratitude i mean sure i worked hard to get here but of course you know there's a whole lot of gratitude involved in that i'm just super grateful that all the work i've done all the experiences i've had and all the goodwill i put out there has come back to me that way and I, I couldn't be more grateful. Did you take any like things from Detective Ed Green and bring it to Joe West? Uh, not specifically, but I can say that working on Law and Order gave me a distinct uh, idea of what uh, the procedural, what the procedure is for you know working in law enforcement. Uh, so the the rules, if you will, I knew very well coming into Joe West. Of course, Joe West's trajectory wasn't necessarily to show his police work. It was more for him to be a family man, a dad. Yes. Uh, and it, it's one of the reasons I actually took the role on The Flash, because mm. when I was approached by uh, Greg Berlanti about playing the part, I, I'd said long before then, I don't really want to play a, a detective anymore and i knew that suddenly i was even a trope you know like i was the detective trope at this point uh you know the black guy you know yeah. who's a cop um <laughs> and i just didn't really want to do that again i was like there's so many more facets to explore totally and but along comes greg Berlanti, and he says hey you know would you would you play the detective on the show and there was something about the idea that in the comics joe west hadn't he was he wasn't a thing like he it didn't exist in the comics but they wanted to change the 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 story of the flash um in this way there was something about you know playing uh, you know being a black person a character black character in this world that i didn't necessarily see a lot of representation that way so the fact that we were going to do that on television, that was intriguing to me. But the other thing I, I said to Greg was, listen, if you can promise me that this character will be more about him as a father and a family man than it is about his police work, then you got me. I'll, I'll come and do it. And he promised me. And he, you know, he, he stuck to his word. That's amazing. Um, there was the musical episode I think you guys did in was yeah. it season three or four. I can't remember. I don't remember. But how was that approached to all you guys? Because Grant has like a musical theater background. Yeah. Um, uh, Carlos has the musical background. Um, the other Arrowverse people came in too. And- oh my God. Like, first of all, like you couldn't have picked a better group to, to do a musical because everybody is so tuned in that way. I mean, like you mentioned, Carlos, Grant, um, you know, in the, and in the Arrowverse, you got Jeremy Jordan, you know, you got Victor Garber, who is somebody <laughs> I've known, like, a big part of my life. I've known Victor well over 20 years. Oh, wow. And, and the fact that, you know, we played these, you know, uh, married gay mobsters. Like, who gets to do that? 
that is pretty amazing. You know, just to sing with Victor was just all I ever needed. Because I guess you guys are always in like the superhero universe and then you kind of took a step back and were like, okay, we're going to put on a musical episode. Yeah. It's so different to kind of like, it probably was probably uh, like one of the more fun weeks, maybe. It, it definitely was. Look, it was it was a lot of work because filming a musical and doing one on stage is a whole different, you know, ball game. Totally. Um, so it, it took a lot to get it done. Um, but now that, you know, I've done it at least once uh, for television, I have some distinct ideas about how to do it where it's not as uh, taxing. Mm. So hopefully I'll get a chance to do those things. Are you going to be writing your own musical and are you working on your own musical? I'm working on my own uh, film world. Let's say that. And music is definitely a part of it. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Please invite me when you start. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What are some of like, what are some of your dreams and goals moving forward? Because I feel like you've done so much already in your career. Like, is there anything still you want to tackle? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it, it is it is not necessarily in in the world of, of acting. It's right. more in the world of, of creating, directing, producing. One of the big traje- trajectories right now is growing up. I had, you know, you know, they always say the, the expression, it takes a village. Right. Growing up, I did have a village looking out for me. I had a lot of people who were keen on introducing me to everything that had to do with the creative world. And I want to do the same thing for a lot of young artists, and in particular, you know, artists of color, who I think should have a safe space to create. You know, we were talking earlier about how you know, how you fit in a world that's always been, you know, sort of portrayed through a white lens, right? So I want young people to be able to come at least somewhere where they get to be everything they actually are in a creative vein. So I'm doing my damnedest to create a space like that now and stories that celebrate that. That's amazing. I love it. You were such an inspiration for so many people. I know it. And like, (laughs) you're just amazing. Um, I also just want to talk about the last episode that aired for The Flash, which was the Goodbye Vibrations episode. Yeah. Um, Oh, what was it like? I guess saying goodbye to Carlos's character, um, Cisco, that has been. Well, I mean, look, I to me, I'm I'm bummed a little bit because not even a little bit. I'm bummed, period. (laughs) Uh, because first of all, I think what Carlos did with Cisco was phenomenal. I mean, that kid came out blazing, and he'd never been on television before. Again, a theater kid, Car- Carlos. Carlos's first job was a Broadway gig. He was, was it in once? once, yeah, yeah, on Broadway. Like that was his first job out of school. Actually, I don't know if it was her first job, but like I think it was maybe his second. The first one was like a That's tour crazy. of Jersey Boys. You know, exactly. <laughs> what yeah, these, are, these are theater kids, right? So, you know, Carlos was certainly nervous coming in. He'd never done television before. He was also well aware of the 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 eyes on him creating this character, Cisco. And man, did he do it. Like Cisco had an immediate voice. Immediate. And it was so funny to me. Like I thought he was fucking hysterical. Like there were times when, you know, the writers would write a joke for Carlos and 
in my mind, I always said, you know, they shouldn't even write the jokes anymore. They should just say, and Cisco says, and just like Carlos fill the blank, because he was that tuned in. Yeah. And so, you know, the the it, it makes sense to me that Carlos got to the point where he had he had to to see his way out of the show because I don't think I've met many people as hyper talented as Los. Um, you should know that the 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 Leo Award that we were talking about earlier. I'm not the only name on that award. Right. Carlos Valdez is the other because Carlos helped me put together the sa- the the soundtrack for the yeah. film. Um, and just a note on how humble this kid is. When I told him, I was like, hey, we want a Leo. He was like, that's awesome. I was like, well, you should I get you a statue as well? Because I think you have to order, you know, another statue if, if it's more than one person on the on the name. Oh, damn, gotcha. I just spilled coffee everywhere. Um, ah! <laughs> I did, but it's okay. Um, and Carlos didn't want it. Aww. He was like, he didn't. He was like, uh, well, no, that's 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 yours. I mean, you did that. And I said, like, but you helped me. He said, yeah, but that's your music. You wrote it. I just sort of work with what you had. Uh, just super, super humble, this guy. But you cannot believe the talent pouring out of this kid. So the idea that he's leaving uh, means that Carlos is free to do what Carlos really can do. I mean, you know, when you think about somebody like a Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? And like the world that he's gotten to create, Carlos is that dude. You know, he is definitely wow. that dude. The yeah. worlds that Carlos can inhabit are vast. And I can't wait to see what he does. You know, I cannot wait to see what he does. And if I can use any kind of, you know, uh, uh, power that I have uh, or spaces that I create to help Carlos, you know, be that dude, I'm going to do so. So the idea of not being able to work with Cisco uh, is a bummer. But the idea of being able to work with Carlos is fantastic. That's so exciting. Um, Also, just like you guys had that inside joke of whenever anyone goes into a coma, um, you play Lady Gaga. You had the karaoke scene. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I was waiting for you to start like dancing and singing poker face. I was like, okay, is Jesse going to start singing? Are we going to see it? I mean, Jesse would have done it, but Joe West didn't do that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, earth 2 joe west would have but he, two, joe he's west gone he's jumped gone. right on in but you know not not you know regular earth joe no <laughs> not at all um okay for our dog loving friends if you want to mm. you you told me the story of how you got romeo if you want to tell oh, yeah. other people because yeah. dog lovers here go for it <laughs> i mean i think it's a funny story anyway so, <laughs> so obviously i suddenly out of nowhere really wanted a dog um, and I was just putting the word out there. Hey, if anybody knows of any rescue situations, I'd really, really like a puppy. And so one of my friends, Kate, she kept sending me links to, to, oh, here's a puppy or here's a place where you can get a rescue. And then out of nowhere, I got this link to a couple in Langley and an older couple whose dogs had had a litter and they were planning to take the litter to a rescue situation but it sort of put out the word to friends and family. If anybody's interested in, in, in adopting a pet, um, come see us. So with that little link was a picture of a little, I don't, it was an Australian shepherd, border collie, poodle lab situation. Um, but it was adorable little black and white 
puppy and it was a girl and her name was Hook because she had sort of like a little white hook on her neck, like a, like kind of like a Maori hook. And I was like, oh, she's so cute. I want to go see. So a couple of friends of mine, uh, we got in the car and we were driving out to Langley and uh, we were talking about, I had done this, um, this weekend uh, performance like of Romeo and Juliet that was done as a benefit for the public theater in New York city. And they had gotten this incredible cast together to do Romeo and Juliet for a whole weekend in uh, central park in New York. And, you know, we had Meryl Streep playing Juliet, Kevin Klein, who's in that original Juilliard group, um, you know, Ben Kingsley, Jeffrey Wright, and uh, Christopher Walken was playing Malvolio. I mean, Malvolio, I'm sorry, uh, Mercutio. And while we were rehearsing the play, uh, Chris Walken kept referring to Romeo as Romeo. And... <laughs> Uh, there was a point right before we started the, the performances where our director was giving notes to everybody. And he said to Chris Walken, he said, Chris, I believe that the, the usual Western pronunciation is Romeo. And Chris Walken looked this man dead in the eye and he goes, that's what I said. Now, you know, nobody questioned it after that. And so from then on, it was Romeo. So I was telling the story on the way to the farm. And uh, when we got there, that little one, little girl, uh, Hook, that I, I, I met her and she was adorable. All the puppies were adorable. Um, but she had she, she had no interest in me whatsoever. She came over, she said hello, and then she just ran off with the rest of the puppies. The only one that was still there was apparently the runt of the litter. And he was the only one that was a merle, uh, which refers to the color and pattern of his coat. And this little one just came over and he sat down on my foot. And I was like, oh, that's adorable. I pick him up and I put him on my lap and I look down at him and he gives me a little peck on the cheek. And I was like, this dog is adorable. And he just laid down on my lap and went to sleep. So I looked at my friends and I'm like, Romeo. That was it. So that's my boy now, Romeo. That is the best story ever i know right i can't i hope at some point in my life i get to run into christopher walken again so i can <laughs> tell him that the reason my dog is named romeo is because of him please that needs to be he captured. probably won't even remember he worked with me shame uh <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh man that's i mean it was just a weekend so i mean if you bring up the story, give him a lot of context. Yeah, he might remember that. Well, he'll certainly remember that he called Romeo Romeo. I'm sure he'll remember that. It'll trigger something, and then it'll yeah, all definitely. come flooding back. I think back. so. I think so. <laughs> um, okay, I feel like we touched upon pretty much everything, a little bit of everything. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to add or just say to listeners or about yourself or just in general, plug in anything too? Well, I mean, I can't really think of any, any like magical moment to talk about but what i can say is um I, i'm assuming that a big part of your audience is is bc based like in the vancouver area and i'm assuming also that a lot of your audience are are artists in their own right and mm -hmm. what i'd love to say and love to encourage is that there is not necessarily or at least i don't 
feel it. And a lot of people I know who come here don't feel it. There isn't necessarily a, a, uh, a uh, meshing of the different genres uh, of creativity here in Vancouver. And I'm hoping beyond hope that I could be part of it, but that the creative world, like the musicians and the actors and the artists and the dancers all find a way to come together because it's the, I, I think it's the, it's the, the, the benchmark of, of a great city when all the cultures are able to come together under the umbrella of the arts. I mean, it feels like in BC and, and Vancouver, particularly, things are quite separate and everybody goes in their own little spaces and these things don't ever come together. And I'm hoping beyond hope. And it's great that you're doing something like this, Sid, because what it does is it at least says to everybody, hey, first of all, let's celebrate the fact that we are creatives and we are in the arts, but let's all get together. Let's all start working together. Look, you guys are getting inundated by, you know, what has been called the, you know, the great Northern migration of, you know, the film industry, right? Hollywood North is really a thing now, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you're getting this influx of talent and, and also attention, you know, an audience, if you will. You guys really have to take advantage of that. Like show everybody's, particularly all these people who are coming up from mostly like LA and, and the US, uh, that Vancouver's got a handle on this arts thing. And you do. It's definitely true that you do. But it has to come together so like we can all share in it. Um, that's something that I really wanted to just talk about because I, I feel like I've met so many artists in Vancouver who are literally desperate to, to, to work with others. Like you need that kind of support because it's, it's literally hard to make a living as an artist in Vancouver. Things are so expensive, right? Like right. if there is a space and time where everybody gets to come together, so they not only support each other in the arts, but you know, in just general living, like that's what makes a city great. Now, I'm not trying to say that Vancouver isn't great. Obviously it is. But what it could do in the art world is phenomenal. Yeah. Wow. Jesse, just drop the mic. Uh, podcast is Ooh. over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is so true. I There's just so many artists that... Oh my gosh, there's just so much. I mean, creativity. there's a lot of artists there who are literally just searching for a forum, like like you just created here, like yeah. searching for somebody just to, you know, reflect, you know, how they think and how they feel and 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 the things they want to do. And yes. you know, it and inspiration goes a long way, gang. Like if you're sitting in your room and you're the only person that gets to see the work that you do, that's not helping anybody and it's not helping mm -hmm. you either. You need to be reflected that way. Right. And be amongst your kind, find your tribe, all that good stuff, run away with the circus, all of that. And it, it and Vancouver is so ripe for that experience that, you know, I'm just encouraging all of you guys to just do the damn thing. There's no reason why you can't do exactly what the kids in New York city do. I, don't know how to end this off any better ladies and gentlemen and however else you may identify jesse l martin Woo thank you so much sid this is really fun <laughs> oh my god you are so much fun to talk to oh my god <laughs> like i yeah just like so true like art in general there's just that's why i just love this podcast so much because i could just go off about whatever it I is bet. You're passionate it's so cool about that you did music. it yeah oh my it's god it's so cool that you did it like I that's appreciate that so much phenomenal excuse my language but it is like 
And, you know, look, you could have just sat there in your room by yourself going, damn it. I, I wish I had musician friends to talk to about stuff. But here you are finding people from all over the world, all walks of life. Here I am sitting in your room at the hangout. Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks for hanging out. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Leave us a comment and review on our YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from. Make sure to like and subscribe as well so you know when new episodes come out. I would also really appreciate it. You can follow us along on all of our socials at the Hangout CA. That's it for now. We'll see you next week.